This is Midlife Mastery, session number 20. Welcome to the Midlife Mastery Podcast. If getting control of your time, your money, and your life matters to you, then you're in the right place. And now, here's your host, Peter Fritz. Welcome back to the Midlife Mastery Podcast. Um, As you know, I don't like to... um, engage in all that much shop talk, but I really want to say thank you today for tuning in. This is the 20th episode of the Midlife Mastery Podcast, and it takes quite a lot of work to put together a podcast. You'd think it'd be as simple as just sitting there and uh, crapping on into a microphone, but there's a lot of work pre and post um, recording that goes into creating a podcast. And I just want to give a shout out to Pat Flynn, who has been instrumental, in fact, pivotal in helping me to get this podcast off the ground. Uh, I've been writing over at midlifetribe.com for going on to two years now, and I've been toying with the idea for some time of getting into video, but didn't really want my ugly mug, you know, on people's screens. So podcasting was the next best thing. And and I'm starting to realize that was actually probably um, an inspired choice that podcasting is probably the best thing that I could be doing. Um, I'll get into video a little bit later on, probably fairly soon. I know it's becoming more and more important these days. Um, But for the time being, I'm really enjoying doing this podcast and I'm really grateful that you're listening to it. Anyway, today, what I want to talk about is something which is uh, particularly relevant at this time of the year. I'm recording this in December, and of course, uh, Christmas is just around the corner. And it's this thing that I like to call the generosity myth. Um, Many years ago, back in the late 80s, I was an unfortunate conscript to one of those multi-level marketing companies. And I know some people have had some success with them, and um, there are some definite gains to be had in being involved in one, probably mostly from an educational standpoint. But uh, anyway, I was uh, I was roped into an MLM called uh, Omega Trend, which was, um, I guess, a ripoff of the American Amway system. Um, but it did put me in front of some very powerful and influential speakers and some real thought leaders at the time. And, and really, it was my exposure to these kinds of people that got me involved and interested in all areas of personal development. Um, it got me started on books, which were enormously valuable and have formed a habit that I continue to this day. Um, so that was, um, God, that was more than 25 years ago, going on to 30 years ago when I was first um, involved with those guys. Um, but I recall one speaker in particular, um, a fellow called Charlie Tremendous Jones, and he said a lot of things which have stuck with me. But one of the things that really did, and which I've repeated ad nauseum ever since, is if you can't be generous when you have nothing, then you'll not be generous when you have everything. And I remember as soon as he said those words, I knew at that moment that that I would always remember them. You've probably had situations like this yourself where something is happening and, and you just get a sense that I know I'm going to remember this. And it was a very powerful statement. Um, and I want to share a couple of things with you about this statement and some other things related to it because I think they're especially relevant right now. Um The first idea is this terribly misguided notion that I think is perpetuated mostly by big corporations these days, and it has been perpetuated for many years by popular religion, that generosity has a price attached to it. Um, More than that, it's a doctrine that says that you can't really show your love or appreciation for someone unless you buy them something. Um, Now, of course, this is 
you know, promulgated mostly by corporations who want to sell you their stuff. But like the pursuit of happiness, we're sold the lie that the only path to these things is through our wallets. Now, most of us know, intellectually at least, that this is nonsense, um, but we do it anyway. Especially this time of year, the credit card comes out, it cops a beating, and we just spend up a storm. But if you think about it, how many of the gifts that you've received over the years do you really actually remember? Well, for me, aside from the beautiful, tacky little gifts that my daughters bought at uh, the school um, fates for, particularly for Father's Day, all of which are stored safely away, I, I really can't remember any. Um, maybe it's because I never get many gifts. <laughs> I don't know. But um, I tell you what I do remember, and that's the experiences that I've had uh, with family and friends and the help that I've received over the years. I've had help in all sorts of areas. And it's those gestures of generosity that I remember far better than any physical or tangible item that I've received. I mean, I remember the help that I got from my brother-in-law many times renovating houses. Uh, We sweated our guts out till the early hours of the morning over and over again. And he never asked for anything in in return. And whenever I've needed him, he's always been there on the spot. Um, I also remember the countless times that my dad stepped up and helped us to plant out this home that we bought, which is on a few thousand square meters and had absolutely no trees on it. It was basically just gravel and um, and grass. And weekend after weekend, apart from helping us to move, which at the time was actually about this time, four years ago, it was around Christmas time and, and we couldn't find a removalist anywhere that would help. So we had to make 22 separate trips with a trailer from the old house to our new house in, oh, I think it was high 30s, the temperatures, degrees Celsius. It was horrible. It was sticky and hot. It was torturous work. But my dad came down from Jamison, which is three hours away with his four-wheel drive. We rented two trailers and he just got stuck in and just helped us. And then after we settled, he came over here multiple times and helped us plant tree after tree after tree. So you know, I remember that. I also remember the times that my mentors have given freely of their wisdom and their experience. And of course, all those moments of introspection with close friends over whiskey and cigars. Uh, Most fondly, though, I think I remember the years that my dad invested in making me the man that I am today. Uh, He developed in me an appreciation for for nature, for the outdoors, for the for the bush, for the desert, um, but also for hard work and integrity and um, working in the service of others. Uh, the times that we've spent around campfires and climbing mountains, tinkering in the back shed and fossicking for gold, along with dozens of other life-shaping experiences, all of these have conspired to make me the person I am today. And all of them were acts of generosity from someone who cared more about the recipient than anyone's perception of the gesture that they were making. These acts were generous, in my opinion, because they required deliberate effort and presence on the part of the giver. This kind of generosity is layered in nuance and emotion, none of which you're going to find in your seventh pair of Nikes or the latest version of some shiny trinket or gadget, three of which you've already owned before. In my opinion, a man with $1,000 in his wallet who tosses $10 at a homeless person isn't necessarily generous, but a man who thinks deliberately about how he can help and commits to providing ongoing support for causes that he cares about and believes in, I think that person is generous. And so it stands, in my mind at least, that generosity has little to do with money and everything to do with intention. Think about this for a minute. I mean, when you deliver an act of generosity, what outcomes do you seek from that generosity? Is it to be thanked? 
to even the score perhaps, to reciprocate out of guilt or obligation? Is it to be loved or revered or envied even? And do you actually care if the recipient knows that it was you that gave them whatever it was that you gave them? Do do you care if they know from whence the gift came? Now, look, obviously, a lot of acts of generosity can't be dispensed anonymously, especially if you're physically involved in them, if, if they require your time and effort. But those that only require um, money certainly can be done anonymously. And, and I'm a big fan of anonymity with these kinds of things. I think that the moment you give someone money um, or something um, to help them along the way, I think you've already had the benefit of that generosity. You've already won. Just knowing yourself, even if you tell no one in your family, and I've done this countless times where I've donated money to causes or I've helped somebody out with something, whether it's money or it's a physical item, and I don't need to mention it to anyone. I really don't. I, I don't need someone to pat me on the back. In fact, I don't know, I get a bit kind of irksome about it if somebody, you know, gushes with praise for something I did to help someone else. <clears throat> it kind of almost diminishes the sense of um, gratitude that I feel that I could actually help someone. Because really, for me, that's what it comes down to is if I have an opportunity to help somebody, it makes me feel great by doing that. And if I don't tell anybody about it, then I feel even better. It feels more authentic. It feels more honest. Like the reason I'm doing it is genuine. It's not, in, it's not seeking praise for, for what I'm doing. I think that when you help someone who's in genuine need and then you burden them with the expectation of some sort of reciprocity or guilt, I think that's selfish. I mean, again, that's just my opinion. I think that reciprocity and guilt are the foundation stones upon which today's version of Christmas is built fundamentally. In other words, say a friend of mine, Lorraine, gives me a $200 gift last year. My natural response is that, well, I better make sure that I at least match that in return this year. Otherwise, I'm going to feel guilty. So I have three simple rules around giving that, that work for me. The first one is I don't want anything from anyone. I really don't. And I don't expect anything either. Besides, if I really want a bottle of wine or a fancy pair of runners, I'll just go buy them myself. I've told my kids for years now that the only thing I want for my birthday or Father's Day, I don't want anything for Christmas, but if they really want to give me something for my birthday or Father's Day, all I really want is a card with a few words that they've written that come from the heart. And for years, my kids have handmade cards for me. And I tell you, they are priceless. Seriously, they could buy me a brand new car and it would not feel as good as getting a beautiful handmade card from one of my kids with words that mean something to them. That's worth a lot more than a bottle of booze or, you know, a box of cigars or something like that. Number two, if I want to help someone or express gratitude in some way, I don't wait for society to tell me when I should do it. I'll do it there and then. Perhaps I'll take them out for lunch or I'll give them a book. Um, there was a book I read a while ago, um, Younger Next Year, <clears throat> by Chris Crowley, and it was a brilliant book. So I went and bought 10 copies and I gave them to people that I care about. So maybe I'll give them a book or some money or I'll help them with a problem. I don't wait for their birthday or Christmas. If they ask for my help and if there's some way I can give it, I'll give it. And number three, when someone with a genuine need reaches out for help, I'll do it whether I can afford it or not. There have been times when I've had nothing, no money, no assets, and no evidence that things are going to improve anytime soon. But when a kid's charity or the school or my mum or even my ex-wife have needed help, I've done my best to deliver on that. I figure if I can't be generous when I have nothing, then I won't be generous when I have everything. 
I think ultimately this all comes down to just being deliberate about what you're doing. It still astounds me that there are millions of people around the world who still surrender their rational faculties just so they can ascribe to a bunch of expectations dreamed up by religions and big corporations. So many well-meaning but thoughtless individuals give into this nonsense every year. They plunge deep into debt for it. Some even kill themselves over it. And if they don't do that, they worry about it or they argue over it. And ultimately, they weaken the human connections that generosity is supposed to foster. It's as senseless and stupid as that other human weakness that so many of us suffer, which is comparing ourselves to others. I mean, these are very intimately related problems. Now, I'm not immune to all of this, but I'm definitely getting there. What I tend to do is I talk about things or I write about things as I'm just discovering them myself. But this thing, though, this has irked me for decades, and it's really just taken me this long to convert my beliefs into consistent action. That's really all it is. I believe that generosity should be spontaneous. It should be deliberate. And most of all, it should be anchored in an outcome that has the recipient at its center. Anything less is just showboating. That's it for me for this week. I'm going to have one more episode up before the year is out. Um, But before I go, I just want to read another review from iTunes from the US. T Adams for You says, from episode one, Peter's message resonated with me. I'm in my second act and I can relate to the bumps life through me and to the future I see ahead. I'll be subscribing and following his journey. Well, thanks a lot, uh, T Adams for You. I appreciate that. If you'd like to leave an honest rating and a review on iTunes for the show, I would really appreciate that. It helps others to find the show. It helps with um, with iTunes search algorithm. And well, basically, it just rubs my ego up the right way, and I like reading them out. So if you enjoyed this show and you'd like to leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Oh, a couple more things before you go. The show notes for this episode will be at midlifetribe.com slash 20. And the other thing, if you don't already have a copy of 15 Ideas for Midlife Mastery, you can get one for free at midlifetribe.com slash 15 ideas. What it is, is a 60-page full-color landscape format book that I wrote a few months ago containing my favorite posts around mastering your time, your money, and your life. Uh, It's perfect for reading on an iPad, and it's... Short, sweet, concise, and if you're new to Midlife Mastery and Midlife Tribe, well then this gives you a good, I guess, kicking off point for what it is we talk about here. Anyway, that's it for this week. I'll talk to you again about the same time next week. Enjoy the rest of yours, and I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Midlife Mastery Podcast. For more ideas on creating the perfect second act, go to midlifetribe.com and learn how to master your time, your money, and your life.